morning, church family. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 12. Um, we have been, over the last several weeks, uh, we've been walking through our uh, mission um, and strategy as a church. Uh, it's been uh, an exciting several weeks. We've been kind of walking through what the direction looks like for the future here um, at First Baptist Church, Saltilla. Now, our mission is pretty simple. It comes directly from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter number 28. Here's how we wrote it out. We exist to glorify God by making disciples in Saltilla and throughout the world. That's what we long to do here. Overall, if you were to put everything under one umbrella of why we exist, this is it. We want to bring God glory and we want to make disciples. Now, we do this uh, specifically through a disciple-making strategy that took almost a year for several leaders in this church coming together to develop. We make disciples here, here's how that strategy looks, by helping people follow Jesus, grow together, serve others, and multiply disciples. Now, when we talk about following Jesus, here's what we mean. We want to help people begin and maintain a growing relationship with Christ. We want to see people who don't know Jesus come to faith in him and surrender their life to him. But we also want to help people who are Christians develop healthy spiritual habits so that they can continue for a lifetime of growing and walking and staying close to Jesus. We want people to follow him. Now, what we mean by grow together is also pretty simple. We want to help people connect with other believers in biblical community. We really do believe. We believe the Bible teaches this. We believe God's de designed us this way. We believe that spiritual growth happens best through accountable relationships. And so listen, if you don't know Jesus, you can't. We'd love to tell you how you can begin following him. If you're not sure uh, how to follow him, but you gave your life to him however many years ago, we'd love to connect you with a plan for how you can be growing daily in your relationship with him. If you're not growing with a group of people who are pushing you to be better, we'd love to connect you with a group of people who can hold you accountable and relationships that can help you grow spiritually to be more like Jesus. Now this morning, we want to discuss the third part of our disciple-making strategy, what we mean when we say serve others. Have you ever had things that you wished you could change about yourself? Anybody ever had things like that? This is something in particular, Danny, that like I would like to change about me. Matter of fact, this might be something that you've seen in somebody else and you were a little jealous. You were a little envious. You're like, man, I wish I was more like so-and-so. Uh, they do that better or whatever the case may be. Um, I know this is true for me. There, there are things that I wish that I could change about myself. I'll give you a couple of them. Uh, I wish that I was over six feet tall. As a matter of fact, I just wish I was six feet tall. Um, even if I wasn't over that, I'd be glad to take that. I wish I could grow a beard. You know what's funny? I tell people that I wish I could grow a beard, and guys with beards are like, man, I wish I never had to shave, right? Like, it just seems like you can never be happy uh, with wherever you are. I'm like that. I can't grow a beard, and so I wish I could. I would change that. Um, I wish I wasn't going bald. I would change that um, if I could. As a matter of fact, next week I'm going to look at this live stream and it's going to look like from the camera angle that I'm just looking like this the entire time. And I'm going to go, man, either that camera is really off or my hair is running away from my face. I wish that I wasn't going bald. 
I wish that I didn't need this sweat rag that's in my pocket every time that I stand up in front of a group of people. I would change that about myself if I could. Now, these are funny, um, which, you know, I would agree with you. But if we're all honest, there are things that we would change about ourselves if we could. But have you ever thought about how God is the one who designed you and made you? Have you ever thought that to want to change who you are is to want to change what God has done as the creator? And why would we want to change what a perfect God has made? Now, I don't know about you, but I read this from the, psalm, the, the psalmist in Psalm 139, 14, when he wrote, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Do I praise him? Because I believe that what he did in creating me was done well. I read things like Jeremiah when he wrote in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, he probably didn't appoint you as a prophet to the nations, but can I tell you something? He uniquely made you, created you, designed you exactly how you are. It was never God's intention to make us all the same. He's made each of us beautifully, and you are, in fact, wonderfully made. And beyond that, he's created you for a purpose that can only be found through Jesus Christ. And what's beautiful about that purpose is that that purpose is what God has uniquely designed for you. You say, Danny, I wish I was more like you. I'm going to tell you right now, friend, you don't. All right. And I might look at you and say, you know what? I wish I was more like you. And you'd probably say the same thing back. You'd probably say, Danny, if you only knew, you really don't want to be more like you. And no matter what side of the fence we fall on, we always want to be like the other side, right? We always want to be something different than who we are. But what if we embrace that a perfect God, a loving creator designed us exactly how we are, very unique, different, specific for the purpose that he planned for our lives. John Phillips, one of my favorite commentary writers, he put it like this. He said, God is a God of boundless diversity. No two fingerprints are alike, no two snowflakes, no two blades of grass, no two leaves, no two sunsets, no two personalities. God delights in variety. Now listen, in fact, you may not realize this, but the church works best in diversity. We've been designed and created differently on purpose. And God desires to use our differences as our greatest strength. I love what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2.10 when he wrote these words. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, you may not be a prophet to the nations like Jeremiah was, but whatever it is, you are still God's workmanship, his masterpiece that he has created and designed for good works that you should walk in them. I don't know what those good works are for you. I don't know what he designs you uniquely to accomplish. All I can tell you is this, he has a purpose for you and it's probably different from me because he doesn't want us to be the same and he doesn't want us to desire to be the same. Listen, the same way we're made God's masterpieces is the way the church is also his masterpiece. 
He wants to take all of us and our uniqueness and differences and unite us for a larger purpose that can only be accomplished together. Now process this. When we say serve others, what we mean is that we want to help people discover and use their spiritual gifts to love others by serving. We believe every member of this church is a minister and every member has been uniquely designed to serve others. You say, Danny, that's pretty cute. Well, can I tell you something? That's not something I made up. I'm not just pulling this out of the air because I think this would be a good idea. I'm not trying to get free labor from you. I didn't make it up. This is what God teaches us in numerous places throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, I came across all types of stories and encounters where God used specific people in unique ways to serve others. But even after I read all those stories, I came back to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God's people using their gifts to serve others is God's plan for the church, or what Paul would call God's plan for his body. As a matter of fact, I just want us to look at a couple of verses from Corinthians 12. We can't look at the entire chapter. It would take too long. But I do want us to look at some very specific things that God pulls out that helps us to learn not only about spiritual gifts, but how we should be using the ones he's giving us to serve others. As a matter of fact, I just want to point out a couple of things as quickly as I can. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Every gift comes from God. We find this in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse number four. Every gift comes from God. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, here's what Paul wrote. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now I wanna pause here. I want you to see a couple things. Same spirit, same Lord, and same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it doesn't get more clear where spiritual gifts come from. God is the author of every spiritual gift. Now, though those gifts may be different and useful for different things in different places, the author of those gifts is the same. Now, there's no doubt where the gifts come from, but there's also no doubt that God has given a variety of what Paul calls gifts, service, and activities. Now, just like we all look different in this room, as a matter of fact, if you don't agree with me, you can just look around. There is no two people in this room that are the same. We look different. God has made us as spiritually unique as he has physically. In other words, I didn't get to choose my height. I didn't get to choose my hairline. I didn't get to choose my sweatiness. God took care of those things for me. I didn't have a dog in the fight, right? The same is true for my spiritual gifts. I didn't get to choose the spiritual gifts that God has given me. He is the author and he has designed me how he sees fit. He knows me better than I could ever know myself because he's the one who made me. And he gave me specific gifts because he is the author of every gift. Now here's what I can do. I can wish for another gift, but God knows best. I can even try to act like I'm gifted in another way that I'm not. 
but God has made me better than I would make myself. I don't need to be someone else. God has made me who I am for the purpose that he desires. So matter of fact, if I was to get up here this morning because I really love singing and I just wanted to sing because it was my favorite thing to do, you would know quickly after we left today that that is not a spiritual gift that I possess Music is not a talent that the Lord decided to give to me. Now, I could try to force that on you, but here's what would probably happen. You would never come back, at least to the singing portion of our worship time, right? It's not a gift that I have. So guess what I do? I join with the beautiful choir that is out here in the congregation. With my voice and your voice, mine sounds a whole lot better than it does on my own. My gift is not to sing. I could force it, but why not use what God has given me? Why not be who God has designed me to be? Now you say, Danny, what is my spiritual gift? Well, I don't know what yours is, but I can tell you this. Paul lists out all sorts of different spiritual gifts. He does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to the church at Corinth. He does it in Romans chapter 12 to the church at Rome. He does it in Ephesians chapter 4 to the church at Ephesus. And even Peter in his writings from 1 Peter mentions spiritual gifts in his writings. Now I want to just share a couple of them with you. To the church at Corinth, you could read them in chapter 12, he lists several things. He says wisdom, he says knowledge, he says faith, he says healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, apostles, teachers, helping, and administrating. When he talks to the church at Rome, he says prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. When he talks to the church at Ephesus, he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Peter writes, speaking and serving. Now you say, Danny, why are you listing all these out? Because I want you to understand, God is the creator of spiritual gifts. Why are they different in these lists? Because he's created a lot of unique people designed to do unique things, and when all all of those differences come together, we make up the body of Christ and function in a way that we could never do on our own. Now, here's the temptation. The temptation is that we can have or we can want different gifts than what God has given us. As a matter of fact, if you were to read all of the context of the letter to the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, you would notice that in chapter 12, the reason why Paul's talking about spiritual gifts is because they're wanting other spiritual gifts than what they have. They're putting certain gifts higher than others, and they're all trying to do the same thing. They're arguing over what would be better. This is a temptation that we also have. This happens not only spiritually with those gifts, it happens physically. We just talked about that, right? We want things that other people have, and what God's done for us oftentimes is not good enough. We want to be someone else who is gifted in ways that we wish we were gifted. However, listen to me. God's the author of physical and spiritual gifts, and we should never want to be someone else or to try to make ourselves like someone else. We should embrace who God has made us. Why? Because we are uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made according to his perfect design. God is the author of every gift. I want to show you the second thing, though. Every believer has a spiritual gift. 
You say, Danny, I understand that God gives spiritual gifts, but I don't think I have one. Well, you know what? You just may not have discovered it yet. But every believer, follower of Jesus, God has given a spiritual gift. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, right? To each is given. If you were to jump down in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12, you'd find this same thing talked about again. Paul wrote, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. To each is given, and who apportions to each one clearly teaches me that every follower of Jesus has been given at least one spiritual gift to be used to serve others. Paul would say it like this to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Here's what he writes. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Every follower of Jesus has been gifted to serve. You might think you have nothing to offer, but nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this local body, you have been placed here because you have a unique fit. God has given you a particular gift that makes you an essential part of his body. Matter of fact, I was, I was, I was reading through these verses and I came across a commentary written by Dr. Jerry Vines. Jerry Vines is one of my favorite preachers from the past. He was an incredible pastor and leader. And after his time pastoring, he also wrote many different books and commentaries. But anyway, he wrote one about the church at Corinth, and he talks specifically about this chapter and spiritual gifts. I want to read you something that he wrote. He said, many Christians do not understand why preachers are called to different churches. Now, my highlight is not on preachers, but I just want you to hear this first part. They don't realize that one preacher has the gift of administration. Another has the gift of visitation. And another has the gift of preaching. God sends each gifted preacher to a specific church at a particular time because he knows when that church needs that particular gift. One man can't run a church. I don't have the gift of music, for example. Not all staff members in a church have all the gifts necessary to coordinate their particular church. Here's the highlight. All kinds of people are working behind the scenes. People usher, count money, work on committees, make phone calls, teach Sunday school classes, and visit people. It takes all kinds and groups of people. You know what he's saying? He's saying God is the author of all spiritual gifts and every follower of Jesus has one. So if you're in this room this morning and you're a believer in Jesus, here's what we know. God, who created spiritual gifts, has given you, if not one, many spiritual gifts. Why? So that you can serve others here. The question isn't, am I gifted? The question is, how has God gifted me? Because all believers have been gifted by God. Let me show you this, though, because here's the why. All right, Danny, God created spiritual gifts. Got it. No big deal with that. Every believer has one. Okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have a spiritual gift, a way in which God has uniquely designed me and placed me here to serve the body of Christ. Okay, got it, Danny. I'm with you. What, what's, the, what's the big deal with spiritual gifts? Well, here's the big deal. Every gift is for the glory of God and the good of others. Every gift 
You say, Danny, mine's not as impressive as others. You're wrong. All of them have been given for the glory of God and the good of others. Look back at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given, right? There's that everybody has one moment. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The spiritual gift or gifts that the Lord has given me are not for me. I don't have spiritual gifts for my benefit, but for the glory of God and the good of others. You say, Danny, how do we know this from what Paul's writing in verse number seven? Well, let me key you in on a couple of things. The first one is the word manifestation. Here's what that word literally means. It means to make known, to make plain, to reveal, to bring to light. Well, what in the world are we revealing? What in the world, Danny, is my spiritual gift bringing to light? Well, here's what it means. It refers to our gifts pointing people toward God. That's the point. That's the manifestation. We want people through our spiritual gifts as we are serving faithfully our God, we want people to see him. I don't know if you know this or if you've caught on to this yet, but this Christian life that we live, this thing that we call church, this thing that, that, that Jesus has saved me for, it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. Listen, as we use our gifts, we make known, make plain, reveal, or bring to light the glory of God. All who have been gifted should be using those gifts to point people back to the one who matters most. I love how Chuck Swindoll talked about this. Here's what he wrote. He said, when believers exercise their gifts, God's people become tangible, evident, meaningful expressions of God's active presence on earth. How beautiful is that? You say, Danny, why should I discover my spiritual gift? Well, it's because God's made them and he's given every believer one. All right, Danny, well, why should I use it? Well, you should use it so that people will see the active presence of God on earth earth. Isn't that beautiful? Let me show you this too, though. Also, God's desire is that we use our gifts not just for the glory of God, but also for the good of others. This is why Paul wrote, for the common good. Listen, when Peter was talking about spiritual gifts, here's what he said. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You know what it means to be a steward? means to take care of what someone else has given you. You know what you're taking care of that someone else has given you? You're taking care of what God has gifted you with. You know how you take care of it? Peter says you take care of it as you use it to serve one another, right? The good of others, the common good that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Here's how he would tell it to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four. He said, God gave gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of 
Christ. You know something? Your spiritual gift is not about you. It is a manifestation to point people to the glorious God in which we serve. And it's also to do good for others so that they can see a glorious God whom we love and we serve. It is so that people can come to faith and knowledge of Jesus so that they can mature to the fullness of Christ. Listen, my gifts are not for my popularity. My gifts are not for my pride. My gifts are not for my prosperity. My gifts are not even for my purpose. God has gifted every believer in order to serve others. You know where the greatest picture of this was seen for me? I don't know how many of you are reading through our Bible reading plan together. As a matter of fact, here's a little shameless plug. If you're not reading through the Bible, if you don't have a plan that you're using to spend meaningful time with God daily, can I tell you something? We've got a plan out here in the lobby where we're reading through the New Testament together as a church. All right, there's my, there's my plug. I end it, okay? But we've been reading now uh, in, in, in the New Testament. We've read the Gospel of Luke, and now we've jumped into the early days of the church in the book of Acts, Now what's awesome about some of those early days is that we find example after example after example of how the early church used their gifts to continue to advance the name of Jesus. Whether it was teaching or hospitality or generosity or serving, I mean you can find so many different gifts that were displayed in the life of the early church. But Luke, he he lets us in on, on what took place and, and, and why it took place and how everyone using their gifts for God's glory and the good of others truly began to change the world. Here's how he puts it in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. Here's what he said. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? All because the early church was using their unique spiritual gifts to serve the body, to bring glory to God and to do good to others because all of that was happening together the whole world was, begin, was beginning to be turned upside down. The word of God increased. Number of disciples multiplied greatly. Even some of those former Jews were being converted into Christianity. Now, Danny, why is this important for us? Because this should be happening in the church today as people use their gifts. Can I remind you of something? You haven't been saved in order to sit. You've been saved in order to serve. Your spiritual gifts are not for your enjoyment, they're for your employment. You're not in Christians Anonymous. You've been placed in an army so that you can fight in a war. We are fighting for the souls of men and God has enlisted us into his army. Will we use our gifts so that he receives glory and other people see a good and gracious God? In a Peanuts cartoon, I was reminded of this picture. Lucy was demanding that Linus change TV channels, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. So here was Lucy in the picture uh, with her fist up at Linus saying, I want to watch what I want to watch, all right? Here's what Linus said. He said, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? Lucy says, these five fingers. Here's what she went on to say. She said, individually, they're nothing, 
But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. You picture Lucy in this moment. <laughs> Poor Linus, right? Here was Linus's reply. <laughs> Which channel do you want? <laughs> Listen, turning away. Here's how the little cartoon segment ends. Turning away. Linus looks at his own fingers and he asks, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> I thought to myself, your gifts are for the glory of God and the good of others. When we stand together with our gifts, there's no measure to the impact that we can have for Jesus. Let me show you this last one. God obviously is the author of all spiritual gifts, and every believer has at least one of them. And here's why you have it, for the glory of God and the good of others. But can I show you this last one? Every gift is needed. Listen, there are none that are greater than any others. As a matter of fact, here's what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 12, look down to verse 14. He wrote, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now I want to pause there. You can keep reading anytime you want to in 1 Corinthians 12. It's almost laughable, the comparison that Paul makes. The diversity of the spiritual gifts is stressed through Paul's inclusion, honestly, of each part of the Godhead. Don't forget what he wrote back in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, right? There's number one. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There's number two. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. There's number three, who empowers them all and everyone. Now you may read that and think, man, that's pretty clever. Paul's not looking for clever wording when he writes, same spirit, same Lord, same God. What he's doing is he's making sure that we understand our diversity and unity through diversity is the same way that God experiences unity through diversity in the Godhead. You say, Danny, what do you mean? God exists as Father. We call him God. He exists as Son. Paul refers to him as Lord. He exists as Holy Spirit. He refers to him as same Spirit. This would make sense as to why the body of Christ would also reflect many parts but still remain as one body. Our God exists perfectly in three forms, different yet unified as one God. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll wrote about this. He said, Christianity was never meant to produce an army of clones or a franchise of copycat churches. Paul says that the one triune God creates a healthy variety of gifts leading to a diversity of ministries producing a panorama of results. Notice that the entire Godhead is involved in the gift of giving. Paul likely refers to this unity and diversity of the Godhead as an example for the intended unity and diversity of believers in the church. Like process this in some of our own ways today. 
Can you imagine how terrible an orchestra would sound if every instrument was the same? Can you imagine how weird a building would look if every part was a roof? Can you imagine how bad a football team would be if every player was a quarterback? Can you imagine how weird a body would look if every part was the same, if your entire body was made up of just a nose? Now, I know all these scenarios are crazy. It would never happen. This is exactly what Paul is trying to get across and helping us to understand why the church exists. It's one body, the body of Christ, made up of many members. Each member is equally needed for the body to function. Okay, Danny, that was a whole lot. I'm with you. I wonder what would happen if the local church was functioning as the body of Christ, as many parts working together for the body to function properly. I wonder what would happen. Well, several suggest that Jesus gave us a glimpse of what would happen when he said this in the Gospels. This is from Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many would say that when the body of Christ is functioning as he desires, each member using their gifts for the glory of God and the good of others, that not even the devil himself can stop what Jesus wants to do in this world. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that many months ago probably that I shared uh, an illustration of how I've heard this concept put together before. I read one time about animal groupings. Now, there are a lot of interesting animal group names that are out there. I won't give you all of them, but I wanted to share a couple that were interesting. Lions, by the way, are called a pride. You don't go out and see lions in the wild and say, hey, look, there's a herd of lions. No, no, no. You would say that's a pride of lions. Tigers, if you're to see a group of them out in the wild, are called an ambush. I mean, let that settle in for a moment. It's kind of creepy, right? Crows are called a murder. It's not a flock of crows, it's a murder of crows. Owls are called a parliament. That one's fitting for how I picture an owl. For some reason, I always think an owl's gonna talk to me in a British accent. (laughs) My favorite one, outside of the one I'm gonna share, might be vultures. Vultures, if they're all together, are not called a flock of vultures, they're called a committee of vultures. So, I'll let you take that one where you want to. However, My favorite of the animal group names are the grouping name for rhinos. Now, I want to share a couple interesting facts about rhinos that that make their animal group name even more interesting. The bigger rhinos weigh over 5,000 pounds. I don't know if you process that, but that's a big animal. They are typically 5 foot tall and 12 feet long. They're massive. Also, you may not know this, rhinos run faster than squirrels. Now, probably not too intimidated by squirrel running, but rhinos can run 31 miles per hour. That is a massive animal running extremely fast. However, the most interesting fact about rhinos in comparison to their animal group name It's not that they're 5,000 pounds or that they're massive animals or that they run 31 miles per hour. Here's the one that's most interesting to me. They can't see past 30 feet in front of them. In other words, rhinos are pretty much blind. Now, you would think that 
They would be far too timid to pick up full steam that their inability to see far enough ahead would paralyze them to immobility. But with that horn pointing the way, rhinos run forward full steam ahead without apprehension, which leads us to their name. Rhinos, when they're grouped together, are called a crash of rhinos. They're not a herd, they're not a flock, they're not a school, they're not a pride, they are a crash. Now maybe you're thinking, of course they would charge ahead. They would destroy whatever stands in front of them. Listen, a squirrel also runs 31 miles per hour, but if 30 of them got together and ran toward the church, nobody's afraid of that. But think about this, if 30 rhinos at 5,000 pounds each all came running toward this building. Listen, they can't see this building is even here, but do you think that they care this building is here? No, you know who better care? We better care, because you know what's going to happen? They're going to tear this building to the ground, and they're going to trample every single one of us. Now you say, Danny, who cares about rhinos? Why are you telling us about a crash? This is a picture of the church. This is what happens when God's people unite together to use their gifts for his glory and the good of others. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We may not know what's 31 feet in front of us, but that's okay because there's no stronghold of the devil. There's no barriers or walls of sin. Not even the deepest of darknesses can stand in the way of the power of God. Can you imagine can you imagine the things that we could tear down if we would unite together using the unique gifts that God's given us to charge into the future full steam ahead for his glory and the good of others? We might be thought of as a crash. Listen, the Bible's clear. God gives spiritual gifts to every believer as he sees fit to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. Can I tell you something? You might be here in this room this morning and you don't know a spiritual gift from anything else because you don't know Jesus. Okay, I tell you something, your spiritual gift doesn't matter at all right now unless you are ready to give your life to Christ. Before you can serve others through the spiritual gifts that God's given you, you must first choose to follow Jesus. You need to surrender your life and say, Jesus, I want more than what I have. I want more than what I've been doing. This life is no longer what I want. Sin and rebellion is no longer what I want to choose. I want to repent of that old life and I want to turn to Jesus. I want to be a part of this movement. I want to be a part of this body. I want to use my gifts for the glory of God and to serve others. I want that. Well, hey friend, if that's you, can I tell you something? You can begin to follow Jesus today. You say, Danny, what do I do? Well, can I tell you something? Let me give you something. You can come find me in that lobby in just a few moments. And can I tell you, I'll open my Bible and I can tell you how to give your life to Jesus. But can I tell you something else? You don't need me to give your life to Jesus. You know what you need? You need to take a moment right now, just you and him. And you need to say this, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner like everybody else in the world. I know that my sin debt separates me from a holy God forever. And apart from Jesus, I will spend eternity in hell. But I know that Jesus paid the price for me. 
I know that he stood in my place, that he died on the cross that I deserved, that he rose from the grave, and he's now empowering me to live in a way that I could never live before. And you need to confess him as your Savior and your Lord. You need to say, here I am, Jesus. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? I want to give my life to you. Hey, friend, can I tell you something? Every bit of that is right here, and I can tell you where all of it comes from. If you need that conversation, I'll be back there in that lobby. I'd love to have it with you. But you don't need me. You need Jesus. So, friend, if that's you, if you need to start following him, here's what I would invite you to do. I'd invite you in the next few moments when we start singing, you just take a second right where you are and you say, Jesus, you just spend a moment with him. Here I am. I want to give my life to you. And if you do that, you come let me know about it. If you need help, I'll be back there to help you. Listen, for everybody else in the room, you say, Danny, what does any of this have to do with me? If you are a follower of Jesus, then he has placed you here to grow together with this body of believers and for you to use the gifts he's placed in you to serve others. You say, Danny, I don't know what my gift is. You come find me in the lobby. I'll help you discover it. You say, Danny, I don't know how to use my gift. You come find me in the lobby. I give you some options of how you can use how God's gifted you. Danny, I need more starting place. I need more help. I need just a conversation. Listen, you come find me in that lobby. I'd love to talk to you about how God has uniquely designed you to use your spiritual gifts to serve others. We got some new stuff that you've been seeing in the lobby. I'm gonna shut up, I promise, but I just wanna highlight this for a moment. We got some new stuff that's developing in the lobby. I wish it was all finished right now, but it's not. We're banner over my head, we're working on it, all right? But soon, really soon, I hope, we have found some very useful resources, some online surveys that will be instrumental in helping you discover how God has uniquely wired you And here's what we wanna do. When that stuff's available, we're gonna make it known to you. And what's gonna happen is when you take that survey, you are going to be linked directly to how you can serve either here in this church or in this community or around the world. And we wanna do more than just tell you how you need to find your gift and you need to get to serving. Listen, we wanna go beyond that. We will help you find it. We will place you somewhere to serve. There is no excuse for any person in this church or this community to not be following Jesus, to not be growing together, and to not be serving others. If you're not, then that is clearly a choice that you are making in disobedience to God. Because if you want it, it's available to you. Say, Danny, what should I do? I don't know. But you need to take a moment right now and you need to respond to whatever God's laying on your heart. Whatever it is he's calling you out, whatever your next step is, whatever he's wanting you to do, you respond to him however he desires. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and thank you. Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you so much.